Our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Come, bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he is our God, and we the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. God's word assures us, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In humility and faith, let us confess our sin to God.
God so loved the world that he gave his only son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Since God has forgiven us in Christ, let us forgive one another. The peace of Christ be with you all. And also with you. Our scripture this week comes again from the Gospel of John, again from the 14th chapter. This is John 14, verse 15 to 21. These are the words of Christ. If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. Anyone who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. How do you know the truth? It's been over two months since we at Hope last gathered to worship. Two months without normal school, normal work, normal shopping. Two months without funerals, baptisms, birthday parties, hugs, playgrounds, 
communion, choir practice, family gatherings, and just going out for coffee. We traded all that for Zoom everything. It's been two months and counting. To overstate the obvious, it's not easy to stay at home indefinitely. Even as our pre-pandemic life is starting to fade in memory, we're still not clear on what comes next, or when it will come, or what will be left behind when we get there. We're living in limbo. It's disorienting and disconcerting, and one of the ways we deal with that discomfort is to gather information. We are desperate for understanding, desperate for every little shred of clarity. Now, clarity is hard to come by in the middle of a pandemic, but information, that's everywhere. And almost all of it, it seems, is up for debate. Caught in a polarized landscape where every narrative elicits a counter-narrative from the other side, and not even numbers are neutral anymore. Seriously. How do you sort through it all? How do you know the truth? There's a whole branch of philosophy dedicated to that question. Epistemology, the study of how we know what we know, if things are even knowable at all, and what's the difference between just having a confident opinion about something and knowing that thing to be true. In part, it's a question of reliability or trust. Can I trust my senses? Can I trust my own rational thoughts? A la Descartes, I think, therefore I am. Then again, if my own logical thinking is the most reliable source of information, what about matters where I'm in over my head? Epidemiology, for example. Can I, can I trust what others tell me is true? What if it comes from the government, or scientists, or the media? Which sources of information are most trustworthy over others? What are the indicators of reliability? Confidence? Cautiousness, consensus, or daring to go against the grain? And given that we're all biased to some extent, how do we account for those biases in ourselves and in others? What if my facts are different from your facts? Are there any objective facts anymore at all? How do you know the truth? Epistemology is not just for the philosophers anymore. These are questions that many of us are wrestling with on a daily basis. We're in the midst of what's been called an epistemological crisis. We've lost the skills to collectively discern the truth from the noise. And there is so much noise. Do I believe that there is good information out there? Yes. Do I believe there's misinformation and even deliberate disinformation out there? Probably, yes. Do I believe we have a responsibility to be good stewards of what we take in and seek out the truth? Absolutely. I think we'd all agree about that. But I have serious doubts about our ability to agree on what's actually happening in the world right now, which makes it difficult to discern what needs to happen next in our communities, in our institutions, in our nation. How do you know the truth? Our text this week picks up where last week's left off. 
It's still Passover. Jesus is in the upper room readying himself for the cross and readying his friends for his death and departure. The air is thick with unease and unanswered questions. If Jesus leaves, if Jesus dies, then what? Like us, they're anxious and confused. Like us, they're desperate to know what comes next. And it is here, with trouble all around, that Jesus promises the Holy Spirit, another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of Truth. The Spirit of Truth. I don't know if I've ever noticed that phrase, that name for the Spirit, before. Something about it gets caught in my throat, kind of like when a song turns out to be just right for the moment, and the beauty of it all almost hurts. Because I am finding myself longing these days for truth. To know that it's still a thing, that it still exists, that truth is still out there and knowable. And I'm longing to be part of a people that knows the truth together. Maybe you are too. Maybe this spirit offers us some hope. A little background on our text. The word for truth hardly shows up in the other gospel accounts, but in John's gospel, truth is a big deal. The word became flesh, John opens. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. From that prologue to Pilate, John's account of Jesus keeps circling back around to truth. Jesus talks about worshiping in truth and knowing the truth that sets you free. He even calls himself the way, the truth, and the life. So by the time we get to his trial and Pilate asks, what is truth? We're supposed to kind of pick up on the irony. Pilate, the truth is standing right in front of you. Don't you see? But truth in John is revelation. Not everyone can see. It's not just that truth is a person and that person is Jesus. Truth is what Jesus, through the incarnation, reveals. The presence of God with us. The mystery of a deity that is at once Father and Son. And Spirit. In our text, John adds the third person of the Trinity, the spirit of truth who testifies to that revelation of God in Christ, the one who opens our eyes and walks alongside us as an advocate or paraclete, a counselor, helper, defender, encourager, companion, exactly what Jesus had been to his disciples and exactly what they're afraid of losing. Only this one will be with them forever, with them and in them. There's a certain mysticism to John's gospel, a vision of mutual abiding, remaining, dwelling, us in Jesus, Jesus in the Father, the Spirit in us. In essence, John draws us into the Trinity, into the closeness of the Godhead, made beautifully, mysteriously, accessible to us, like an invitation. And all are here in John 14, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
It's almost like Jesus is passing the baton. As God has been with them in Jesus, so Jesus will be with them and in them through the Spirit. This is the truth that the Spirit reveals, that God is with us. God is still with us, even in the upper room, even in the midst of trouble and confusion and anxiety over what comes next. I'm not sure that's what we're looking for when we find ourselves longing for truth, when we're deep in the weeds and wanting answers, when we just want to know, coming back to that epistemological crisis. But what if Jesus is talking to us too? Verse 17, but you know him, the Spirit, for he lives with you and will be in you. What if knowing is more about who than what? And what if the spirit of truth is mostly interested in pointing us to God and inviting us to dwell with the Trinity, to make ourselves at home in the Trinity? Maybe that makes all the difference. Mo and I celebrate nine years of marriage this month. And that feels like a pretty modest number when I think of the decades of marriage that some of you have known. Every once in a while, for no reason at all, we find ourselves wondering aloud together, where do you think you'd be if we'd never met? After all, we met on a blind date and got married within a year. Our lives merged quickly, but they had been going in very different directions. He was a hip-hop musician in Chicago. I was preparing to study Hebrew in Jerusalem. Both those dreams died, and a new shared life emerged in their stead. But what if we'd never been set up? Where would we be? Who would we be? It's a fun thought experiment, but always futile in the end, because knowing Mo and living with him day in and day out for nine years has changed me formed me, and vice versa. There's no way to extract ourselves anymore. I wonder if the Spirit's ministry of truth is something like that, slowly, day by day, walking alongside as advocate, counselor, companion, and shaping how we see and who we are. The work of formation, not information. Because in scripture, the evidence of knowing the truth is in how you live it. And if the truth is the revelation of God with us in Christ, then the evidence is in following Christ's example. If you love me, he says, keep my commands. This is why the Father sends the Spirit, to empower us to love and live like Jesus. So how do we know the truth? One of the strengths of our Reformed tradition is its affirmation of human intellect and the inherent goodness of all areas of study. Our tradition is maybe at its best when it is thinking critically and biblically about a wide range of issues. But I wonder if it would help to add, alongside that good rational work, a more contemplative pursuit of truth, especially in our current context. 
If the spirit of truth is present with us, in us, as close as our breath, what would it look like to lean into that reality, to perhaps even let truth pursue us? Our friends in the contemplative tradition have something called a breath prayer. I've been drawn to these prayers during this strange season. To be honest, I don't really know how else to pray. I have three small children, and quiet time isn't really a thing in our house right now. But I am breathing. And sometimes it helps to match those breaths with a phrase from scripture. To inhale on one phrase and exhale on the next. Like, the spirit of truth lives in me. And just repeat that and let it sink in, to let it slow me down and help me remember that God is with me, Father, Son, and Spirit. And let that be true, and let that be enough. What if in the coming weeks, whenever we are overwhelmed and anxious, we turned not to news or to commentary on the news to alleviate that feeling but to the comforter and counselor? What if we limited our media consumption, perhaps even took a media Sabbath today, trusting that the salient information would find its way to us and finding contentment even amid all that we don't know? What if, when we need to come together to make difficult decisions, we began with an acknowledgement of the spirit in our midst, dwelling among us, walking beside us, guiding us to truth, and helping us to stay united in love. I wonder if it helps to remember that the same spirit of truth that dwells in you is also dwelling in your brothers and sisters, even the ones who don't agree, drawing us together in love, together in patience, together even across social distance, together even as we struggle to discern what comes next. People of God, you are led by the Spirit at home in the Trinity and called to live lives of love. May you know this truth deep in your souls. Amen. Oh
Shall we pray together? God who made us, God who claims us, God who sustains us, hear us as we pray. With joy, we thank you for all things green and growing, for all things great and small, for spring rains and the sun pushing through the clouds, for playful dogs and soaring hawks. We thank you for family, for living together and eating together and Zooming together. We thank you for babies born and children full of energy, curiosity, and humor. We thank you for growing up and growing old, for wisdom deepened by experience, for rest and leisure, for time made precious in its passing. We thank you, God, for the church into which we've been called, for the good news we receive by word and sacrament, and for our life together, even now as we're scattered into our own corners by efforts to mitigate the transmission of this coronavirus. And in that spirit, God, our only help in life and in death, our help in times of trouble, we pray that you will heal the sick, comfort the grieving, and call us to places where we can serve and help and be part of your will and work. In particular, we pray for the family and friends of the 87,000 Americans who have lost their lives to COVID-19. Many or most dying without loved ones by their side. Be both balm and ballast for those families. We pray, Lord, for wisdom for our leaders, compassion in our communities, and unity of spirit and purpose. When it's easy to divide and ferment dissension, we pray for the movement of your spirit, the fruits of which are love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. For your people gathered in hope, we remember Mina and Kathy Visser, Karen and Sieb Sluice, Ken and Dolores Usman, Don and Diana Strong, Gary and Bev Meyer, Fanetta Staub, Eleanor DeYoung, and Hetty Suit. We pray for those who are unemployed and underemployed. We pray for those who struggle with loneliness, loss, depression, addictions, anxiety, and other issues of mental and emotional health. We pray for our brothers and sisters in Roseland and for the Hope folks who are serving breakfast there this morning. We pray for the doctors and nurses of the Hope community. We pray for renewal, deep reservoirs of kindness, for clarity, and for energy for them. And as school winds down in ways that we never imagined, we raise up teachers and students, graduates and administrators. In both disappointment and difficult decisions, may there be expressions of grace and mercy and the evidence of your way and will. 
with thanksgiving for Aaron's good and gifted work among us, for the voices of Margie and Molly, for Skylar's guiding hand with all things technological, and for the community both near and far that is encouraged by these little worship podcasts, we give thanks. God, shape us through the power of the Holy Spirit, wherever we are and whoever we are, that we might embody your love in Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. Receive this blessing. And now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of God and of God's Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit remain with you always. Amen.